welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. Thank you. Um, well, hey, welcome to Trinity Life Church. My name's Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Um, at least for the next two weeks, I will be. And uh, see you, buddy. <laughs> That's my kid. See you, bud. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been such a great ride for us. And for some of you guys who are just walking in for the first time today, um, uh, I, I, in the next two weeks, uh, I'll be finishing out my time here as one of the pastors here, and uh, our other lead pastor, Mike, is going to continue to lead the church as he has been with our leadership team, and it's been such a beautiful time for us, uh, even this last few weeks, um, busy, having dinner every night with each of you guys, or some of you guys, and we look forward to doing that more over the next few weeks, but it's been such a beautiful time, and um, next week, uh, Adam won't be here. Adam is going to be representing our church and speaking at a church down in Columbus, Ohio. Adam, are you back in here yet? No? Okay. All right. Well, listen to the audio, Adam. I really appreciate you, man. <laughs> Adam is our worship pastor, and um, man, our team, I, we just have the best team. I don't know how to say it. We just have the best team. Everybody's a 10, an ace in our team, and I just want to just let you know uh, as our church that Man, God has given you such fantastic leaders, faithful and holy. Come back, come in here, man. Um, yeah, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you. You know, we won't see each other next week, and it'll be my last week, and you'll be representing Trinity Life in Ohio. So I love you. Thank you for your leadership here. I appreciate everything that you do. And so I believe in you more than anybody in the world. Well, maybe not more than your wife, but I believe in you. So thank you. Um, and so God's given us fantastic leaders, uh, and so if you're newer to this community and you're plugging in for the first time, this is a great season to be here, great time to be here, uh, very bittersweet for our family to be moving forward next week, uh, although I won't be preaching a full sermon next week, we'll share a little bit more kind of what our next steps are as we uh, finish out our time here. But as I've been ra- wrapping up um, the last few weeks, been reflecting back on the memories that we've had, they have all been good. We've been so blessed. I mean, you guys, I mean, you, a lot of you guys, I mean, you put the same hard work that my family has put into building this church, starting this church. And so, um, but I don't know if you feel this way, but we do as a family. We have received so much more from this church than we feel like we've been able to give out. And this has been the reality is that we have received so much more from you guys than we think that we've ever been able to give to any one of you. And so whether you're new to TLC or, you know, you've been here since day one, I hope that you're finding this to be the case as well, that you're receiving probably more than what you're giving, and the more that you give, you receive just as much back. It reminds me of a story. It's a preacher's story, so I don't know. It's not valid. It's not real, okay? <laughs> uh, but it's a story about uh, a pump in the desert, and the story goes like this. I'm going to read it. It says, a man was lost in the desert, dying for a drink of water. He stumbled upon an old shack, a ramshackled, windowless, roofless, weather-beaten old shack. He looked about this place and found a little shade from the heart of the desert sun. 
and as he glanced around, he saw a pump about 15 feet away, an old rusty water pump. He stumbled over to it, grabbed the handle, and began to pump up and down, up and down, but nothing came out. Disappointed, he staggered back. He noticed off to the side an old jug. He looked at it, wiped away the dirt and dust, and read a message that said, you have to prime the pump with all the water in this jug, my friend. And P.S., be sure to fill the jug again before you leave. He popped a cork out of the jug, and sure enough, there was water in it. It was almost full of water. And suddenly, he was faced with a decision. If he drank the water, he could live. Ah, but if he poured out all the water into the old rusty pump, maybe it could yield fresh, cool water from deep in the well, all the water that he wanted. He studied the possibility of both options. What should he do? Pour it onto the old pump and take a chance of fresh, cool water? Or drink what was in the old jug and ignore its message? Reluctantly, he poured all the water into the pump. And then he grabbed the handle and he began to pump Squeak, squeak, squeak. Still, nothing came out. Squeak, squeak, squeak. A little bit began to dribble out, then a stream, and then finally, it gushed. To his relief, fresh, cool water poured out of the rusty pump. Eagerly, he filled the jug and drank from it. He filled it another time and once again drank its refreshing contents. Then, he filled the jug for the next traveler. He filled it to the top. He put the cork back on and added this little note. Believe me, it really works. You have to give it all away before you can get anything back. You have to give it all away before you can get anything back. And doing life with you guys these past few years has been that for us. I feel like we've poured it all out. We put everything into the last four years that we could have and still... You can ask Linda. We feel like we're the greatest recipients of all this work. And I really want to ask you in these last days for you to do the same thing as well. Because that's the only way. That's the only way that you can live out gospel-centered community is if you pour all of it out. That's, the, that's what we call body life. As a matter of fact, this is the paradoxical life of the Trinity, that you would give all of your life just to find out that the person next to you is doing the same towards you and you never lose out because you're mutually giving back to each other everything that you have. And this is how the Trinity lives and this is how we should live. This is how we should operate. Pour it out, drink from it, be replenished, but fill up the jug for other people. That's the church. And today from this passage, uh, we're talking about rethinking the church. And I've got two points uh, from this passage. It's going to be a long sermon, so prepare yourself, but it's just two points. And, departing, and some departing thoughts to share with you as we round out our last two weeks. Um, so consider today me pouring out as much as I can into your pumps so that you can gush out living water. All right, consider that. That's what I'm trying to do today. And so uh, there's two things that I want to bring out from this passage that I think are very uh, crucial to the season and to what God is doing in the midst of us and in the future. And two points are this, that number one, take our worship gatherings seriously. Take our worship gatherings seriously. And then number two, engage our culture humbly. And we'll jump to that in a little bit here. But let me first talk about taking our worship gathering seriously. Paul says this, that do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? 
If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. In this passage, the Apostle Paul, he's actually asking a very prophetic question. He's saying, church, do you know who you are? God is so serious about you, about us as a local church. You are the physical representation of a universal family. And God's uh, perspective is like a mother in that, in a sense, what Paul is saying, that God is saying is that, uh, like a mom would say, don't you dare touch my family, I'll rip your arm off. Something like that. That's my paraphrase, okay? That's my mama paraphrase of, of this particular passage here in verse 17. But that's how God is serious about you as a local church. The you here is not individual. The you is collectively you. It's a plural you. Together you make the temple that the Holy Spirit resides in. Don't neglect this gathering. If you don't know who you are as a church in this city, culture will begin telling who you are as a church in the city, and the best intentions of our culture. They're not trying to demean you. They're not trying to be condescending to you. But the best definition that the culture can develop for you as a church in our city is that you are a great civic club. You're like the United Way. You're like the Kiwanis Club. And that's not a slam on you. That's the best that the culture can tell you. Paul's saying, no, that's not who you are. Trinity Life, that's not what we are. You're not a civic club. There's a guy named Bill Hybels. He leads a church in Chicago. Uh, and um, he says this, that the local church is the hope for the world. And I've heard that, and sometimes I wonder, is that an overstatement? Is, is what he's saying like an overstatement about the possibilities of what God can do in other things besides the local church? Because obviously he is working outside of the local church. But I'm try- well, let me summarize what I think Paul is saying in this passage here. Um, that you, we as a church, a local body of Christ, you are a carefully constructed temple founded on Christ Jesus, the cornerstone, built brick by brick, person by person, to be the dwelling place for God's spirit to live and to act. No other organization or institution in our city fits that definition. So maybe Bill Hybels isn't making an overstatement. If that is true, Trinity Life, we are a part of the hope for the world. And if we're the hope for the world, then we must be a part of the hope for Toronto as well. That's who you are as a church. Don't neglect this temple. Don't neglect this gathering. Don't neglect the people around you. I know some of you have joined our church recently over the last few weeks, maybe even over the last you know, um, week or so. Some of you guys have been here for years and so, that, you know, when I say years, like you're a veteran if you've been around here for two years or so. Um, but each one of you matter because you are a building block in God's temple. Like you matter if, if you just stepped in here for the first time. You matter still so much to us if you've been around for the last three and a half years. Because every one of you play a role in, in God's temple. Gathering every Sunday like this and pouring out energy into serving and singing and praying and giving. Now listen to me. We, we've always said that the church isn't just a worship service, okay? And so that still stands. Like Mike and I, we really believe that we're just not a worship service. That's not church. But every Sunday like this, when you pour energy into serving, singing, praising, giving, what you're doing is weekly and rhythmically what you're saying to the culture is this, we are here for you, but we will not be conformed to you. 
And so when you continue to invest in this time here every week, it's a rhythmic way for you to remind yourself and to remind culture that we're here for the city, but we're not going to be conformed to the city. We are still God's gathering where the Spirit lives. Spirit doesn't live outside of this context. It moves and it does work, but it rests, it dwells, Paul says, in this context right here. And each time you gather here to worship Jesus, you have to know that you're not just attending something, that you are becoming something with a group of people. Each Sunday you gather to worship Jesus, you pour energy into making Jesus the focus of your oncoming week. Jesus, the focus of what community looks like for you. Jesus, the focus of your career. Jesus, the focus of your parenting. And Jesus, the focus for how you contribute to culture in Toronto. Toronto, a city filled with other kinds of temples, modern-day temples. Modern-day temples are the gathering places in this city where people spend their most precious energy building their livelihood and their identity. Think about that. Modern-day temples are the places that people go with regularity to build their livelihood and their identity. They're investing precious energy into that. Paul is saying, for you, make that the church. Make the church that for you. But it's also false to think that only Christians have temples. You know, we know that Jewish have synagogues and Muslims have their, uh, have the uh, masjid or the mosque, but even secular, atheistic, humanist people have temples too. Every day in our city, 2.7 million people participate in some kind of temple performing acts of worship to gain a sense of identity and purpose. It happens, whether it's a building on Bay Street or sitting on a couch in a counseling therapist's office. People invest acts of worship into the temple where they find meaning and purpose. Some of, these good, some of these temples are good institutions. They contribute to the flourishing of community, the flourishing of our city. But none of these temples are indwelled by the Spirit of God. Only this one. And temples like this one. None of these temples have a God that loves them the way that your God loves you. And none of these temples can propagate the message that can save them from their own ambition, which is the gospel. So I want to caution you. You hear this as a pastor getting ready to leave that loves you and cares for you deeply. I want to caution you that if you wander from worshiping with the body of Christ, if you allow this temple to become less important for you, if you stop making this gathering less of a priority, inevitably you will begin gravitating towards other temples. Whether it's a building on Bay Street or a couch in a therapist's office. And I promise you this, those gods do not love you the same way that the God of this temple loves you. God's spirit can move there. God's spirit can do work there. But he lives here. He dwells here. Paul says, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Turn away from our idols, the allure of the other temples, and seriously build this one.
In the last days, my mind keeps drifting to the scene in the book of Acts chapter 2 where the 120 are gathered in a crowded room worshiping and praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit to show up. And this is where you're at, Trinity Life Church. You are a little over three years into the mission with Jesus, about 120 people or so, and you worship and pray and you're waiting for the Holy Spirit to show up in a big way. And I've been praying this over our church for the last year but more earnestly over the last few weeks. And I feel like now it's a prophetic word that I get to release to you, that the Holy Spirit is gonna fall fresh in these days. And you, you have to watch and anticipate it. The Spirit of God is gonna come in a fresh way in these days. And I want to exhort you to watch and to anticipate it. For many of you, the Spirit is going to fill your desert season with streams of living water again. Somebody say amen to that. Come on, you got to hear some amens to that. I know you've been waiting for that. <clears throat> the Spirit is going to fill your desert season with streams of living water. Your spiritual gifts will be activated and you will be like a spring watering others. Your renewal will not be found in vacation. Your renewal will be found in a visitation from the Spirit of God. Pentecost is your model. Your encounter with the Spirit will lead to greater intimacy and for you evangelist types, your encounter with the Spirit is going to lead to greater mission with God. And God will pour out His Spirit on this church without measure. I read a guy named John Piper, maybe some of you guys do as well, but he wraps up this statement for me pretty well in terms of how does God do this. He says that, could it be that the Spirit of God is the fully divine third person of the Trinity? who personifies the love of God. That is that when God, who is spirit, fully, infinitely communicates his love to his son, is this not the giving of the Holy Spirit without measure? In other words, the spirit of God, the God who is spirit, is love. In essence, the most complete way for God to show you his manifest love is this, to pour out his Holy Spirit over you. And so when the Spirit comes on you, you will existentially feel. You will have the happy feelings. You will have a joyful feeling. To the point of laughter and tears even. This experience will bolster you in your faith, in your confidence. And in bolstering your faith and in your confidence, it will bolster your mission here in Toronto. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are better evangelistic tools than the best philosophical arguments for the existence of God. And when the holiness of God falls on you and this fruit comes from you, your mission will be so much easier. It will be a mission of being and living and not a mission of striving. Watch and anticipate for the coming of the Holy Spirit. When you receive healing from the Holy Spirit, as Megan was alluding to earlier as we were singing, that means automatically 
that the city will begin to receive healing as well. Because God never heals his children without using them to be agents of healing for those around them. And I've used this analogy before um, in, in our service. It comes from Martin Lloyd-Jones, but he illustrates the connection of knowing that you are loved and how that leads to greater mission. And Lloyd-Jones says that imagine a father and a son walking on a beach, and the father can tell his son that he loves him, and the son would believe it. And that's how many of us experience Christianity. You've heard that God loves you, and you, and you believe it. It's a verbal faith. But then the father could scoop up his son and hug him and twirl him around and whisper in his ear, I love you. And at that point, the son not only believes that his father loves him, but the son feels and experiences that his father loves him too. The gospel message is the message that says, in Christ, God loves you. The coming and the pouring out, the Holy Spirit, is the experience that God loves you. It is God scooping you up hugging you, twirling you around, and saying, I love you. And Lloyd-Jones says that when this happens, it empowers you for greater ministry, not because in that experience that you're given a greater skill set, but because in that experience, your heart is more attuned to the Father's heart, and you're going to want to be about the Father's business. And that's why there's greater ministry that flows out of that. If you're in a spiritual desert right now, don't be ashamed. You're probably just feeling hungry for the Holy Spirit that's about to visit this church. Some of you guys came to this church very hungry, very dry, very thirsty. It's because of your hunger and your thirst that you're going to cry out for more of God, more of the Holy Spirit on behalf of this church. God's brought you here to stir up in our church a desire for more of the Holy Spirit, for him to visit So let me exhort our leaders, be hungry for this experience. Be hungry for the Holy Spirit. Don't ever let any part of your ministry rely on strictly your effort and your strategy and your strength. Before each prayer, before each meeting, before each gathering, before each time you're here or in body life or serving in St. Jamestown or whatever it is that you're doing, Holy Spirit, come. Let that be your prayer. Church, be hungry for this experience. Jesus instructs us through Luke 11. This has been a passage that Mike has held on to, and Mike's given it to me at times, and it's, it's a reminder that we have to ask for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. The Holy Spirit doesn't always force himself, spirit self, I mean, try to make it neuter, you know, friendly, <laughs> to, into us, the Holy Spirit is something that we ask for. And Jesus tells us how to ask. He says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Like Pentecost, take the gathering of the body of Christ seriously. Holy Spirit will be poured out for God's mission. Second point is engage our culture humbly. Um, and before I jump into this, um, I want to acknowledge a friend of mine, Pastor Matthew here, is from Young Street Mission, and he's been somewhat of a, uh, definitely a good friend to me and somewhat of a mentor in terms of learning more about how to be the church in this city. And Pastor Matthew, thank you for being here. I really appreciate your friendship over the years, and it means a lot to me that you're here this morning to uh, be with us as our, we close out our last few weeks. 
But one of the things that we are learning here in Toronto and something that uh, our, our leadership team is learning, but uh, many before us have already learned and continue to lead out in this way, is that you have to engage our culture here in this city humbly. And this is what Paul says in verse 18. He says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. In this next section, Paul's waking up the church in Corinth to not just be spirit-filled, but to be smart as well. And not to just be smart, but to be culturally smart. He puts out a challenge. He says, if anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. And the phrase wise in this age can refer to the people who shape culture of their day. They're the thought leaders, the culture makers. If you want to be those people, Paul says, in this age, you have to become foolish first. Paul says that you cannot be cultural leaders by simply just copying the culture. In fact, the way to become wise is first to become humble. In order to influence culture in our city, in Toronto, you not only have to let your pride down, but you have to let your guard down as well. That's what Jesus did. You see, the gospel says that Jesus came to change the culture, not by taking over society, but by sacrificing himself for society. Jesus engaged culture not by eradicating it, not by emulating it. He engaged culture by entering it. And the reason why he entered culture was because he had to sacrificially serve it in order to radically preserve it. He had to serve the very thing that he wanted to preserve. So instead of emulating or eradicating, he entered into it. Sacrificial service may not grow church attendance at first. All that we do in St. Jamestown, what we're getting ready to do in Easter in St. Jamestown, that does not necessarily translate to church growth, church attendance at first. But it does something so much more powerful. Sacrificial service counteracts prideful power. And prideful power in the church has never been a good combination. You cannot build the kingdom of God on prideful power. That's why Paul says we must become a fool so that we can become wise later. It's possible to be the people of God and not be in charge. Is that right, Pastor Matthew, as you've served the city? You don't come to the table as a Christian in a church and say, hey, what can we do to, to help you do things better? And I love our engagement team. Uh, Seth, Sathyan is leading it. Where are you at, Seth? I don't see you. Oh, he's all the way back. Dark guy in a dark room. Come on, man. Uh, <laughs> he is so, oh, Seth, Seth is so good in leading our team in our church and humbly engaging in St. Jamestown and not saying, hey, we, have, we know what to do. It's just saying, what are you guys doing well and how can we help you? How can we learn from you? That is going to go so much further in the kingdom of God than anything that we have to offer, even your skill set, the posture of being humble how can we learn? How can we give ourselves to the point where it hurts? How, how do you become not just a line item on our budget, but how does our church hurt with you when you're hurting? When you take that, see, you're not just letting down your pride at that point. You're letting your guard down. And when you serve in that way, it goes so much further in the kingdom of God. This goes way beyond volunteerism. 
God is calling you, this church, to enter into culture. Not to emulate it, not to condemn it, but to enter into it. So I want to offer a few lessons from the past few years as an urban missionary in Toronto. I kind of thought through, like, what are all the valuable lessons that I've learned these past few years, and how do I pass that on to the church here uh, that God's called us to be a part of? Hey, I'm excited. I'm almost done with my sermon, too. Well, I should have went three points this week. Man. I've got five lessons for urban missionaries in Toronto. That's you guys. Five lessons for urban missionaries in Toronto. The first one is this. The gospel is best understood in both word and deed. When we preach the gospel that Jesus Christ died for the sins of not just you, but the world. And he resurrected to bring new life, renewal to the world. That, that becomes more believable when the church begins to live that out. That you sacrifice yourself for the benefit of other people. And that you begin to do things to bring new life in the community. It's both word and deed. McLean's put out an article uh, last fall. I don't know if you guys read this, but it talks about the resurging church in Canada. Uh, it did a survey of predominantly mainline churches. But did you know, did you know, that the gro- fastest growing churches in Canada have, number one, pastors that preach the gospel. This is McLean's, a secular uh, uh, magazine. And number two, church members that share the gospel and invite people into community. It doesn't sound like rocket science, does it? <laughs> it the, the mainline churches that aren't flourishing aren't doing that. So it, it, it works. According to McLean's magazine, if pastors are diligent to preaching the gospel and leading the church to living it out, and people are actually living it out, that the church actually can be the agent that it needs to be in the city that God's called it to be in. And so that's the first observation is the gospel, number one, it's the best means and the method to bring transformation, but number two, the, the best way to do that really is through word and deed. So second lesson I want to share, and I've mentioned this already, is learn from this community and serve it then you will be wise enough to influence it. At this point in juncture, it's not enough just for South to do all the uh, research for our church in terms of St. Jamestown and other areas that we're serving in, but it's so important for us, for our BLGs to prayer walk, meet people, talk to people. All right, I know that most of us live like maybe three blocks that way, but us coming in to do a one-time event, that's not bad and that's not terrible. But that's not much different from a suburban church from Richmond Hill coming in to the inner city and doing a one-time thing. Does that make sense? Right. And so just enter into, learn, build relationships. Then you will be wise enough. Then you will be wise enough how to influence it. Thirdly, <clears throat> is being relevant to culture it's not the same thing as engaging culture. One is emulation, the other is entry. And so uh, here at Trinity Life, we've never worried too much about being relevant, like, you know, you know, how do we do cool church, or how do we do cool, you know, this or that, or how do we, you know, because that cater towards, you know, like, old Christians. Uh, so we've not worried too much about being relevant, or we've not worried too much about being relevant to culture necessarily either. But I want you to understand the difference that, you know, the idea of being relevant isn't the same thing as engaging culture. Because being relevant just means how do we mimic culture. 
but engaging culture means how do we uh, enter into it. And inevitably, here's the secret, inevitably that when you engage culture, you will naturally become relevant. That when you're engaging the culture and you know the culture and you love the culture and you're living in the culture, like we spend time with our neighbors and we're there and we try to live life in a way that's you know, transparent, that naturally you will be relevant to people. My, my, my secular non-Christian friends and who you know, don't know the Lord and don't attend church, they have been just as sad as about us leaving just as much as some of you, maybe more so than some of you. I'm offended by how not sad some of you guys are at us leaving. Goodness. <laughs> I'm getting notes from friends in the city that uh, you know, um, aren't yet Christians, and uh, they're just as sad about us leaving. And a part of that is because when you live your life in a transparent way, loving people, engaging people, that you naturally are relevant to them. All right, fourthly, is the narrative of Toronto is not competing with the gospel. Somebody told us a lie. Somebody told the church a lie that Toronto is dark and closed off and resistant and hard to reach and hard soil. All the really good terms that we love to use when we talk about, like, you know, uh, hard to reach areas, that this is Toronto and, and people are, you know, it's the New York City of Canada. People go there to commit sin. Uh, whatever it is, I, I don't know. I don't know what people say about Toronto. I've heard stuff like that, like, you know. I mean, we say that about New York City. <laughs> that's where all the, you know, people that are, you know, trying to, you know, they're greedy. You know, that's where the money makers go and all that. So, the narrative of Toronto is not competing with the gospel. It's begging for the gospel to enter in. People don't know how to ask. People don't know how to articulate their need. And so when you evangelize them in a way that you know, we did 50 years ago, it's hard for them to take that message and meet what they're trying to achieve. But man, I, I'm telling you, maybe it's, it hasn't happened in these four years, but give it another four to five years, the way that we're learning how to share the gospel in this community, it will connect. It will connect. Because the, 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 the narrative of Toronto isn't so much, you know, how do I go out there and get mine? You know, I, I'm sure that happens. I'm sure that's a part of some, some people's ambitions. But the narrative of Toronto tends to be this. How do we contribute to the flourishing of society? It tends to be that. doesn't mean that people do that, uh, you know, as their primary ambition. But that tends to be the narrative of Toronto is how do we contribute to the flourishing of society? You know, as an American, like that sounds so like so nice and like so, like Americans like, how do we make America great again? <laughs> Canadians, how do we contribute to the flourishing of society, right? Peace, order, and good government. I'm like, low life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Uh, I'm telling you, it's not competing with the gospel. It, there may be other solutions that people propose to how do we flourish in this society, but it's not, the, the, the desire for that is not competing with it. Maybe the other solutions are. People are waiting and, and almost to the point where I've, I've seen other people just desperate to, to have the gospel communicated in a relevant way that they would understand and they could receive it. I think there are more hungry people around you for the love of God than you actually think. Don't buy into the lie that we live in this big, back, dark city and people hate the church. There are some haters <laughs> but that's not, the, that's not the story of our city. 
that you, you can walk out of here with an optimistic, confident, bold attitude that maybe not next week, maybe not the week after that, maybe not next year, but as you continue to love on people, God will use you. He's been starting, in the Reformed tradition, um, there's an idea called prevenient grace, which that just means this, that God has been walking this road way long before you, preparing hearts way much more before you got on the scene. God's been at work, prevenient grace, way before you've been at work. Whenever you share the gospel with somebody, you're just rubbing up against the work that God's already doing. Here's the thing. Will you be obedient to doing your part? God has been doing his part in Toronto. It is not this big, bad, dark city where everybody hates the church. His spirit has been working here so long and for so in, 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 in deep ways, all the way from uh, Parliament Street down to Bay Street, God's in the crazy hipsters on the other side of Young Street. But God's Spirit has been working for so long. How dare we say that this is a big, bad, dark city? As I read the Bible and I look at the book of Jonah and I look at Jesus crying over, Jesus wept. You see two instances where Jesus cries in the Bible. One is when he's on the cross. I'd cry if I was on the cross. Uh, and the other instance where he's crying is when he's looking and praying over a city. He's just, he's just saying, man, I just wish you guys would know and you would turn yourself to me. You see how much compassion God has for this city. He's been moving way much longer. He's just waiting for us to be obedient to our part. The fifth uh, lesson that I've learned as an urban missionary here in Toronto is that Toronto's churches are growing, by the way. It's just with immigrants. <laughs> so two things need to happen. Number one is we need to equip immigrant churches to be urban missionaries. That's why we planted House of Prayer Milton. We want to equip immigrant churches to be urban missionaries as well. And then secondly, we need to earnestly pray for Canadian-born adults who are just as likely to not know the message of Jesus as are the new Syrian refugees. You have to pray. We live in Riverdale, which I understand is the kind of the liberal hub of much of Toronto. And we pray and we walk and drop our kids off at school, go to the coffee shop and, then, and we just pray and say, God, I'm so culturally confined by religion. I don't know how to relate to my neighbors. God, would you just do something? And I feel like everywhere you go, your job and your task is to pray. Wherever your feet lead you, wherever your hands go, whoever you touch, whoever you say hi to, that your job is under your breath, pray for that person. I don't want to offend anybody here, but I've learned that the hardest to reach people in Toronto are white people. Pastor Matt shaking his head, yes, okay, all right. Because we're three, four, five, six generations into unbelief. And when you have a stronghold that's six generations into it, you're not going to hand out a track and say, you know, if you die tonight, are you going to go to heaven tomorrow? You're going you're gonna to be on your knees praying that God would 
build relationships and you can live the gospel out in a way where people can see that, you know, maybe, maybe God is real. Maybe there's something about these authentic people. And even though I don't believe what they believe, I want to belong to what they belong to. And this is not a point up here, but this is my sixth point that I'm adding, is that invite people into community. Can I, can I just be plain and honest? That people will not hear the gospel and people will not be a part of the body of Christ until you invite them in. We don't do enough fireworks here to get people's attention. We don't do enough extravagant things. We don't give away stuff on a Sunday morning. Uh, our preaching isn't that strong. Or it's, it's pretty good. We're actually really good preachers. Um, but you, ha- you have to lovingly, prayerfully invite people into a relationship with Jesus into the body of Christ. So those are the things that I've learned uh, as an urban missionary. I want to end my time here with a quote from a vision document that I wrote five years ago about the people that this hypothetical nameless church, you guys, that we were, we were going to reach. <clears throat> it wasn't a, a vision unique to me. I discovered that a few months later when Mike and I met together and decided to plant the church together that it wasn't unique to me, but this is how I was able to articulate the story at the time before I met any one of you guys. I wrote this in my little office in a church in Texas, um, and I called it birthing a twin generation. Toronto is a mega city in North America where literally east meets west and a twin generation is born. One twin looks like a native-born Canadian that can't make sense out of a 19th century style church. The other twin looks like a second-generation immigrant born into the trappings of a Western comfort whose life and social network is untouched by the story of Jesus. And so they cohabitate, sharing an urban space, but really don't have a common identity. Together, they have the potential to form a global generation that will thrive and make a name in a city like Toronto. But neither really knows to ask or whom to ask why they find themselves here in Canada's financial capital, North America's fourth largest metropolis, and the planet's most ethnically diverse city. They never think to ask, why God? Why Toronto? Why us? And why now? They don't ask these questions because it's not their worldview. It's not their worldview from which to ask. They can point out the brokenness around them and perhaps even admit to the brokenness inside. But it almost seems absurd to assign that origin of brokenness to personal sin. And what's even a further stretch is the possibility that hope is found in a man named Jesus who claims to have the power to restore all things broken into something new. So whether they know to ask the why questions of life and to search for hope depends on those who are supposed to be delivering the story of Jesus. The story which the Bible calls the gospel of the kingdom. Without more messengers, people in the gap, communities of hope, this generation in Toronto will grow up to be a disconnected set of twins where one is a decent Canadian, untouched by what he considers irrelevant churches, and the other is a well-intentioned child of an immigrant stuck between two different worlds. You are in that gap. 
This was the burden and the privilege of my soul that carried our family here to this city. And this is the burden and the privilege that we leave you with. And I hope that we've discovered together over the last few years. I can cry next week, not this week. <clears throat> hope that we've discovered together over the last few years that the Spirit of God is fully alive and ready to be poured out on us and that we can reach the next generation of Toronto. And not just to make religious church attenders, that's not our goal, but so that the next generation would have a radical identity transformation from slaves of ambition and purposelessness to sons and daughters of a living God to transform the city. <clears throat> Let me pray for us. This morning, God's knocking on your door because you've been worshiping at some other temple. And he's gently pleading with you, no more. No more idols. Confess your idols to him. Reject the temples that are so alluring in this city. Cling to the only God that's worth worshiping. Say to him, God, I confess that I worship in various ways idols manufactured from the hands of men and have not worshiped you. I receive your forgiveness through Jesus. And I receive your acceptance of being a part of the temple of God, the church of God. Use me for your glory. Use me. Transform me. Heal me. Forgive me. But use me. And for others of you, God is knocking on your door because you are a leader and you are built for mission in this city. And there's no time to be hypothetical, theoretical, wait for another day. This is the time to build the body of Christ, to see healing in our city. Whatever it is that God has told you to do, you must do quickly. You can't wait. Slow obedience is no obedience. Be quick. Do what God's called you to do. God, I just thank you that you are at work and you've been at work. You've never left the city that was called the gathering place, Toronto. And many of us will be here two, three, four, five years, 10 years. But even after us, God, you will continue to be here if Jesus, you don't come back yet. Thank you for loving the city well, that you would send people here to be your body, your temple, for the spirit to dwell so that you can move. And so Lord, I pray from Scarborough to East End to downtown to West End to Etobicoke to North York 
Jane and Finch, Lord, just every corner of Toronto. I just pray that, Lord, you would wake up your church, that it would rise up, that we would be living stones so that you could build your kingdom in the way that brings glory to you. That we would see that mission exists because worship doesn't. That we would be jealous for your worship. And in doing that, we would see others come to know you. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, for this. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.